Yeah. That's fun. That's just fun. That's fun. That's fun. Even if you're from Duke, that's fun. That's good. So, hey, we're gonna wrap up this series um, that we've been spending the whole month on. We're gonna wrap it up and kind of land the plane tonight. We've been looking at this story that Jesus told about these two guys that each built a house. And it's really a parable about something else, but. They both built a house. One guy built his house on the rock. If you haven't been here, let me just catch up really fast. And another guy built his house on sand. And then storms hit both of those houses. And the one on the rock stood firm. And the one on the sand fell flat and, uh, and fell apart. And Jesus, he wasn't just telling a story about building houses. Um, he explained the meaning or the symbolism of the story. It kind of goes like this. The, the man that built his house on the rock, he says that, that person is a very wise person. Um, they build their life based on, because we're not talking about houses, we're talking about life. Taking the words of Jesus, and Jesus said, my words are truth, by the way, and then putting them into practice. And Jesus says, when you put my words into practice, when storms hit your life and hard times and conflicts hit your life, your house, your life will, will hold together. But the man who built his house on the sand, and by that, Jesus said this, is that um, the guy who built his house on the sand is like a person who hears what Jesus says, maybe even believes it, maybe even tells other people that they ought to listen to Jesus, but, but never personally you know, applies it to their own life, never personally puts it into practice. Jesus says that that person is very foolish because when, not if, but when a storm hits their house or their life, it, it, it will fall apart. And the takeaway from this whole series, let me just kind of sum it up. It's really simple. It goes like this. If you say or claim to, that you believe in Jesus, it doesn't really ma- matter. It doesn't make a difference unless it makes a difference in what you do. And so we look at this back in the very first week. Satan believes in God. And Jesus, and Easter, and heaven, and hell, all right? He believes all the same stuff. This is no big deal. See, if you claim to believe in Jesus, Jesus says, then invite me into your house. Invite me into your life. And let's start working on getting some stuff cleaned up, maybe cleaned out. As a matter of fact, and I really like this guy named James. He's Jesus' half-brother. He goes so far as to say, if you claim... And I'm going to kind of paraphrase this. If you claim I've got Jesus in my life and Jesus lives at my house and he's in my heart and all that, but he's not making any difference in what you do, James would say, you probably never really let him in the front door in the first place. So then last week we looked at this guy named Paul. He said it this way. Okay, there was a day in all of our lives, so we're not throwing stones at anybody. All of us had this day when we, we really wrestled with, we really didn't buy into the whole Jesus thing. And because of that, we looked at certain things and did certain things because we thought, well, that's good. I mean, those, those things are good. Those are the things I love and that's what I want. And so that's what I did. But then Paul says, something happened, all right? We, we started, or some of us are just beginning, but some of us have been doing it for a long time. We started following Jesus and we began to see things in this life differently. And we began to change our minds about them. And the things that we once considered really, really, really good, we don't see them that way anymore. As a matter of fact, Paul says we need to look at some of the stuff in our past as dead. And we're using this hoarder's show last week as kind of a metaphor, kind of like that lady who found a dead cat behind her couch. She says, listen, it's, that, that's how you need to look at some of your past in your life. But not only do you need to consider your past dead, you need to carry it out. You need to get it out of your life and carry it out to the, to, to the curb and walk away. Paul says you have to get rid of it. He gave us a list. We're going to have a big, long list tonight. But things like anger. And there's stuff we're being anger about, angry about. He's talking about the anger that just eats away at you. Anger and rage and malice and slander. That's assaulting other people with our words. And filthy language that comes from a filthy place in our heart. He says those things used to be normal because they flowed out of who you were. But now you're different. Jesus is making a difference in our life and we want different things. So where we left off last week, you know, kind of staying with that hoarder's theme is, was this. It's not just enough to ask, 
Ask God to take away all the bad stuff and clean out my life and stop doing stuff like that. Now, Paul says this, that we have to replace all the things that, that we're not doing anymore, not loving anymore. We have to replace those things with, with something better because if not, you can't just stop doing things. You know, that's what most, most sermons that growing up, that's what I heard all the time. Just don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. But they never told me what to do or what to replace that with. And he says, you have to fill your life up with something better. Because if you don't, nobody lives in a vacuum. Your house will fill up with something. Your life will fill up with something. Usually the same stuff that you've always done because that's all you know. So you have to replace it with something different. What's that look like? Well, Paul's been talking about life in here. Like life in this house. Life, you know, the place where we live our life. And he says this, it starts with, here's kind of the, the cliff's notes and we'll start into this tonight. He says, it starts with, you've got to change your mind. It starts up here, not in your emotions and not in, you know, your feelings, but yet it starts with changing your mind. Then you ask God to come into your life and let him just start cleaning things up. Don't get it reversed. I'm going to clean up my life and then ask God in. No, if you, if you could have cleaned up your life without him, you would have. You need him in your life and let him start, you know, giving you the strength to do that. And say, come into my life, God, and the things that you see in my life, point those out to me. You know, is that over there? That needs to go? Okay, I'll, all right, that's what I'll do. And that needs fixing or whatever. That's, that, that's, what, that's what you say will collapse my life? Okay, God, I'm listening to you. We're going to be back in the book of Colossians. We did the first half of the chapter last week. We're going to do the second half. We're on page 818. If you have a Flatterns Bible, you might want to go get one because this is a really good. I need to underline that. These are great verses and I don't want to bend the page down and all that kind of stuff. So Colossians is a letter that a guy named Paul wrote to some people. Let's see, it's quiz time. Who lived in a city called Colossae. Okay, if you live in Colossae, you're a Colossian. If you live in Rome, you're a Roman. So these people lived in Colossians. And last week it was all about, you got to get this out of your life. You've got to get this out of your life because you're with Jesus now. All right? So Colossians chapter 3, we're going to pick up in verse 11. All right? Here we go. It says this. Here, and what he's talking about is here in my life that I'm building on God's truth and I'm trying to cover with love. Okay? So here in this life I'm building with God. There is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. I'll explain that in a minute. Let's keep going. Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. So the first thing, and we're going to break this down, okay? The first thing Paul says is that here in my life, in my house, that I'm building on what Jesus said was true and I'm covering with love, the most important thing has to be Christ. He's not something you work in here or there. I mean, he's the most important thing. So Paul's saying, if you're willing to give Jesus the final say, okay, what do, you, what do you want me to do, Jesus? To listen to him. To allow him to say, okay, that's got to go, and that needs, you need more of that in your life. You need to keep that, and you need to throw that out. I want you to do that. I don't want you to ever do that. And it's not based on what you always have done before, or what you always thought, or what other people in your life said you ought to do. He says, no, no. I'm telling you, if you don't put Christ in your life, your house will stand up. And Paul's repeating the same thing Jesus said in that, in that house on the sand thing. He said, the main thing is putting into practice what you say you believe about Jesus, Christ. What he's telling us to do. And then Paul, if you look back in that verse, and we're going to stay in this verse for, for a little while. He says, I want to give you some of the arguments that a lot of us in this room are going to come up with going, well, I think what Jesus said will work for a lot of people, but not me, or not her, or not them. All right. So these are all the arguments that we're going to come up with why Jesus could never change my life. Okay, he starts here. He says, first, he says here in this house, okay, in my life, he says there's, there can't be or there shouldn't be any Greek or Jew. Now, he's, what he's referring to is race. Really, back in Jesus' day, you were either a Jew or other, okay? Jew or Gentile, Jew or Greek, whatever you want to call it. So he's referring to race. 
says you can't have racial prejudice in your life. You can't. I mean, the song we're talking about, you know, you, you just can't, you can't do that. Or, or, or even prejudice in general. And what do you mean by prejudice? Prejudice simply comes from a really easy word, to prejudge. Okay? I, prejudge, I don't know all the facts. I don't know what it's all about. But I'm making my decision based on what I think is probably true. I'm prejudging, all right? See, part of the junk that's in your house, in your life right now, is you've already decided or prejudge what you are or are not willing to allow into your life. Who can come in and who can't? What you're willing to do and what there's just no way. No, I'm not going to do that. And you know what I mean, all right? I'm willing, all right, so Jesus can change my life and I'm willing to do anything except that. I'm willing to, to, I'll work out everything with everybody except her. No. I'm just, I, no, I'm just, it won't work. I hate stuff like that. I, I don't care if Jesus tells me to do it. I know in advance it will not work. So don't even try to bring that in here. And Paul's saying, hold on, time out, all right? What if Jesus is the one saying, bring that in here? Well, I always thought of that as kind of white. Well, what if it's black? All right, so, so you've got to listen. What's Jesus want? You've got to kind of throw your, well, I always thought, I never wanted, or you've got to throw that out the window because there's no place for prejudice in this new house that we're trying to build. Second, Paul says this. Here, um, there's no circumcised or uncircumcised. And, uh, and Paul's literally referring to, all right, so this is why it's middle school and up. There's a lot of talk about circumcision in the Bible. It's really weird. All right? It's, and it's awkward to teach on it. But let me just talk about this really, really, really quick. He's talking. Some of you are going, what is that? Uh, Google it. All right? So um, I was going to show a video, but you can't. All right? So um, what he's really talking about here, all right, is, 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 uh, is a religious, ex- an external religious practice in the Old Testament. See, in, in, in the Jewish religion back in Jesus' day, all right? The way you could tell, I'm going to look at my notes, all right? The way that you could tell if a person, or at least a man, was religious was whether or not he was circumcised. It was a physical sign that you had faith in God. As a matter of fact, all right, I, I, I figured out what the worst job in the world is, okay? Back in, back in Bible times, there was this building called a temple, and it had all these sections. And if, if it didn't matter who you were, you could go into the first section... And then if you're Jewish, you go into the next section. And if you're a Jewish man, you could go into the third section. Worst job in the world, gatekeeper. <laughs> go on in, all right? So that's just, I don't, uh, I don't know. So. Why do you come here? I don't know, all right, so. But it was a physical sign. And all, all you had to do is say, look, you know, I have this physical thing going on in my life. Therefore, I'm with God. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. He's saying this. As you build your house or remodel your life, we're not talking about superficial external changes. Anybody can do that. Anybody can change the outside. Anybody can fake the outside. What, what, what Paul's talking about, what Jesus is talking about, I want to talk about internal change. You can fake everybody else and say, my house is good by painting it. But if it's rotten inside, you've got to change it from the inside out, right? And once you change the inside, then the outside begins to take care of, of itself. In another, way, in another place, Paul describes kind of that, that change in your life as a circumcision of your heart as opposed to anything else. All right? So, so there's that. So now you'll never think of that word again. Here we go. All right. So he goes on. He says, now here, so we're back here in this house. Here in this house, in my life. There's no, and he gives us a list. There's no barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. And this is referring to background 
or social status or income. In my life, there's no room for that. Meaning, barbarians and Scythians were, were considered kind of wild, mean, uncivilized, uneducated people. Uh, barbarians and Scythians are who you, you hired to do the worst jobs. And then it says, you know, slaves or slave or free. Slaves many times were people that got themselves into such debt, they sold themselves into slavery to work it off. And that's what it's referring to, okay? And what Paul's saying here in that, in that, that one little verse is, is this, is that no matter what your background is, no matter what your resume looks like, maybe you used to follow a different religion or none at all. Maybe you went to the best schools in the country, all right? Maybe you dropped out or flunked out or got kicked out. Maybe you're locked in a financial prison of debt. Maybe you own the bank. In another place in the Bible, Paul continues that list. He says, maybe you made some sexual mistakes in your, back, in your background. Maybe you were married and messed up your, your marriage because you had an affair. Maybe you were single and messed up sexually. Maybe you were gay. Maybe you were straight. Maybe you were greedy. Maybe you ripped people off. Maybe you were a drunk. Maybe you were an addict. Maybe you used to exploit the poor. He's saying this, no matter what you are and what you've done in your past, there are no excuses you can throw at Jesus saying, see, that won't work for me. That won't work for me. That won't work in my case. No matter what you've done or who you are, where you come from, what you have or what you don't have, none of that matters. Or at least none of it disqualifies you or exempts you from applying or starting to apply, even tonight, what Jesus is about to tell us to do. And that's what I want to get into tonight. It's not just about cleaning out your house. What does he want in my life? We're going to pick up in verse 12. This time Paul's going to move away from this building kind of metaphor we've been using. And he's going to use clothing as kind of a comparison. But anytime Paul says something like clothe yourself, for, for our purposes, think move it, move it into my house. So you're going to clothe yourself with something, think I want that in my life. All right? So pick up in verse 12. He says this, therefore, therefore, if all that's true, that your past doesn't disqualify you, I don't care what you've done or what people say about you, th- we're talking about you. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, and that's who you are, by the way, all your past died with Jesus. So it's gone, all right? So now you're chosen, you're holy, you're dearly loved. Here's what he says. Clothe yourselves, or move this into your life, with, and he gives us a list, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. If you have a pen or something, like, I want you to write some of these words down, okay? Because we're going to come back to them at the very end tonight. Here's what, here's what we need to move into our house. We moved the pornography out to the curb and walked away from it, all right? We moved the addiction out. We, we're, we went to shift Friday night. We went to the counselor. You know, we, we, we we're church, for heaven's sakes. You know, we're trying to get some stuff out of our life. Now we're going to move some stuff in. Well, what kind of stuff? Stuff like this. He says, um, how about compassion? Compassion. You know what compassion translates into Greek? Bowels of mercy. That's a Valentine's card. You move my bowels of mercy, you know? You know, with compassion. It's, and here's what it means by that. It's, that. it's that love, it's that compassion, it's that I feel your pain that goes all the way down to your gut. That's literally what it means. So we've we got to love each other. And you can apply this anywhere. And with my family, with my marriage, with the, the people I'm working with, the people I'm going to school with, whatever that is, I, I, I need to love them with this love that sometimes just wrenches your guts out, but I'm still going to stay with it. That's compassion. All right? I'm willing to do whatever because love costs me sometimes. And, and, and close yourself. Move into your house this thing called kindness. What do, you, what do you mean kindness? It actually means something that's helpful. Now, we can all tear each other down. We, can, we have plenty of that in our house already. We're good at that. We don't have to practice, whatever, all right? He says, what if, what if you actually did something that was helpful? around the house, around business, or with your friends. And humility. 
Humility is the opposite of arrogant. Now, don't, don't, don't confuse humili- humility with humiliate. Okay, a lot of people do that. Well, that, you know, yeah, that's humiliating to think I would ever do that. No, no, no. It means humble. It's the opposite of arrogance. You know what? I'm not too good to do that. If that was needs to be done, all right, fine. Then I'll do it. I'll swallow my pride and I'll, and I'll go do it. And the word gentleness. He says, we've got to get gentleness in our house. See, gentleness means this. I'm angry at the evil things, the bad things that are happening in my house, but I'm calm because I know God is on this. You understand that? It literally translates uh, great strength under control. So it doesn't mean, you know, you walk around the house like, I just, you know, poor me. It's I've got great strength. It's just under control because I know God's involved in this. And patience. Wouldn't our lives and our houses and our homes and our friends and everything in our life just, wouldn't it just go, get a little bit better if we just had a little bit more patience? See, and that's self-restraint. It's the opposite of, you know, responding in rage. It's this. I could pay her back. I could make him pay. I could hit him. I could put him in his place. I could make him whatever for what she or he did for me. I, I have the ability to do that. I'm just not going to. That's patience. Look at the next verse. He goes on. We're filling our house up, all right? You're writing things down. He says, and we, this is what else we have to move into our house. We have to bear with each other. And bear means like you know, load-bearing wall or something like that. We've got to hold each other up or back from falling. That's what we need to, how we need to treat each other. And we need to forgive. And forgive is not an emotion, just like love's not. It's a decision. You owe me. You don't have to pay me. It's a canceling of debt. We're going to bear with each other and we're going to forgive whatever grievances... And the grievances is fault-finding, blame. We're going to stop blaming everybody that we have against one another. And here's it sums it up. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Oh. Oh. So add this to your list. We're going to hold each other up. We're going to make a choice to cancel blaming one another all the time. I mean, how, how many times is, do we just have a finger in somebody's chest all the time? It's your fault. It's your fault. It's your, you're right. It just doesn't help. And we need to remember how much God's forgiven you. When you, when you really think about it, if we just remember how much we've been forgiven, it's really hard to put a finger in somebody else's chest, isn't it? Do the same for others. Verse 14. And over all these, so all this other bearing each other and forgiving, all right, over all these virtues, put on what? See, this is what Scott talked about. This is that roof that, that binds it all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, by that, as members of Christ, because we're part of him now, you were called to peace. And be thankful. See, add this to your list. Love on top of everything. Okay, so even because it, it covers when you fall down the other ones. Love covers a multitude of sins. Remember that? So if you, if you, you know, I lost my patience. or whatever. Well, as long as you're loving, you, you, really it does cover a lot of stuff. All right? And then unity. Live together instead of isolation. How many times we walk into our house or walk into this or walk into that and we go to our corner and she goes to her corner and he goes upstairs and reads a book and he goes out to the garage and she goes over here to the kitchen and she does this in the backyard and all this kind of stuff and we don't even talk to each other. So what if we started living together, actually kind of living together in peace? In peace, you know, I always thought peace was the opposite of war. No, not, not exactly. You can have peace in the middle of war. Right? And here's what I mean by that. It comes from realizing that Christ is involved. There's a war raging at my house, but I don't have to be afraid. Because I know Christ is right here in this house, and in this job, and in this financial situation with me. So my life is really a mess, but somehow I have peace. And be thankful. See, this is the kind of person I am. It's easy. I focus on everything that's wrong in my life. 
everything that's hard in my life, everything that's not happening that I need to happen. And I forget to be thankful for what's going right and what is happening in my life. And by the way, if you ever think, well, it couldn't get any worse. <laughs> yeah, yes, it could. And be thankful that it, that it hasn't yet anyway. Verse 16. This is going to sound really religious, but just go with this for a minute, okay? And let the word of Christ... We talked about this. This is the Bible. This is what the words of Jesus. You know, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So it's gonna, there's going to be a lot of it. As you teach the people in your life and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms and hymns and Michael Jackson songs and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart. So add this to the list, all right, of the things I need in my life. Always be learning the word of Christ. Always be learning the word. This is that foundational truth, okay? Here's a question. If the whole takeaway from this thing is, I need to put into practice what Jesus said is a better way to live my life, how are you ever going to know what Jesus said if you don't ever listen to him or ever read it? And I'm talking about the Bible. I mean, just a little bit every day. I'm not saying read Deuteronomy tonight. You know, no, no, no. I'm not even saying reading a chapter. I'm saying read until something makes sense a little bit every day. And the word of Christ, is, it's, just, it's, just, it's, a, it's alive. Especially if you read it with this kind of attitude. Hey, I'm going to read this, Jesus. Would you teach me something? I'm not getting up from this table until you teach me something. Until, until you kind of point something out. Until, until you, you correct me. Until you guide me. Why? Because I, I want to lead the people in my life better. I want to lead myself better. I, wanna, I don't want to make the stupid decisions anymore. And here's the next thing you put on your list. And worship and encourage others. You know, this is going to sound, you're going to go, this is stupid, right? You know, I think your life would get better if you just sang a little bit more. So, well, I'm horrible. I know I stood by you. You're right. I know. All right. <laughs> sing by yourself. In the car. I, I mean, I, I have almost blown the speakers out. I drive down my, my, the road. I'm like, ah. I, I mean, I, I worship God in my car all the time. And I know that worship's not singing, but I'm telling you, it just changes things. Sing alone or sing together in here. All right. And be thankful. You, you want the word of God and you want to worship and encourage others? That means be here. Be here. This is, I, I don't know if this is about go to church every week. But I'm telling you, if you go to church every week, it'll help. How's that? Well, of course you have to say that. I, I'm just saying, you know, listen, I, we don't get paid per head or something like that. So I don't really have anything at stake here. I'm, t- I'm just telling you is that it is better if you're here. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Because I'm that kind of person, like, if I hit two out of four weeks, I'm good, all right? Well, good for you. Here's the thing is, all right? Right now in this room, there's someone just like you checking you out. Not in a bad way, all right? But there's a 30-year-old man looking at all the other 30-year-old men in this room going, are you into this? There's another person that has the same look in their eye that they see in your eye. And they're wondering, are, are, are you able to, what he, that guy up there is saying? That really good-looking guy on stage care? Are you really able... <laughs> Are you really able to do that? You say, well, I don't need to come. You know what? There's somebody else in this room that needs you here. And you, they'll never talk to you. You'll never know they're, they're, they're looking at your life. I'm just telling you. You, you, know, ply, you know, pry yourself away from the TV or pry yourself out of bed and you're here. Maybe you don't get anything else out of it this week except somebody four rows behind you watched you worship. And it's encouraging one another. And look at this next verse, all right? And this is, a, if you have a highlighter or a pen or you have a Bible, you're going to fold it down or write in the margin because this is one of those, I've got to remember this one, verse 17. And whatever you do, in case I miss anything, all right? And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, I think that's everything, do it what? All in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Give me thanks to God the Father through, through Jesus. All right, I'm going to read that again. Look at that. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So, you, so if you're wondering, what are we talking about here? Whatever. Let's just say that. Let's just read it out loud together. Every once in a while we do this. Let's say one, two, three. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Remember what this is saying. is that No person in this room is exempt from what we're talking about. And no situation is exempt from what we're talking about. And no location is exempt. This truth and love thing and this, 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 this building my life this way applies to, if you're taking notes, whatever you do. Translated, everything. With everyone, everywhere. These are the things that should be present in our life. And then, now he's going to get really, just going to make some of you mad. Because then he gets into a list of, well, let me just give you some everyday stuff that causes a lot of our houses to blow up. And he's really talking about family here, all right? And later business, but, but he's saying, okay, let me just talk about some of the everyday things and just see if this isn't some of the explanation of why your home blew up, all right? Look at this. And take a breath, lady, ladies. We, we will explain this, all right? Verse 18. Wives, <sighs> Lamaze breathing. Here we go. All right, I don't know if I can do this. All right. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Now, this is not about husbands are the boss and wives work for them. All right? This is, that's not what it's saying. That's how it's been taught all over the world. It's just, not, it's just not true. And if you have questions about this verse, we did a whole series called PB&J where we kind of unpacked that that's not what it's about. This is what this is about. Everybody else doesn't have to listen. Let me just talk to wives or potential future wives, whatever, okay? This is what this is about. Wives, you have more power over your husband than anybody else on the planet. Even his mom. <laughs> Barely, some days, but most of all right? <laughs> Ladies, you have more power over your husband. Meaning this, your voice and your manner and your language and your look has more potential to build him up more than anybody else or flatten him more than anybody else. And what Paul's saying is, hey, ladies, don't abuse that because you can't. And some of you are good at it, by the way. My wife's right down here. I'm not looking. Okay, honey? All right. <laughs> He's saying, hey, don't undermine your husbands. And don't isolate him. Build him up. Because here's what's true. If you tear him down, your home will fall down. If you tear him down, it'll fall apart. And he goes on. Now, husbands... Listen, okay? So some of the husbands, anyway, yeah, it'd be better. This good, all right? Listen to this, all right? Because it's not, right? Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Don't be harsh with them. Husbands, your, and I don't want to call it your job, but this is what we signed on for. This is the calling or commission that God has on our, on our lives in regard to this woman that we chose to marry. We were supposed to love her. And by love, we're not talking about, well, I don't really feel in love with her today. All right? Love is a decision to provide for her whatever she needs to become the woman that God wants her to be. And love is a decision to protect her from anything that could stand in the way of her not becoming the woman that God created her to be. And to protect her from anything, including you and your pride and your arrogance and your insecurity and your impatience. 
Husbands, your position as the leader of your family is to serve your family, especially your wife, not dominate her, not boss her around. The, the, the model is Jesus. Remember that from the PB&J series? The whole thing started, the definition of love is, it's kind of like God did for us. Remember what Jesus did for us? What it cost him? That's kind of the job description. Now, let me talk to all the kids in here, okay? Because you're like, yeah, tell my parents. Yeah, all right? Look at verse 20, all right? Children, children, look at that. Look up here. Hey, look up here. Look, look up here, okay? All right. Now, parents, you just shut up. This isn't even about you, okay? This is to the kids in the room, so do not look at them. Look at the ceiling, all right? Children, listen. Obey your parents in everything. Why? For this pleases the Lord. Let me just talk to kids, all right? Um, you, you can't sit in here, stand in here, claim to love Jesus and expect to have peace in your home or in your heart now or in the future um, if you're being disobedient to your parents. The, the Bible warns it'll, it'll come back and haunt you. Not just maybe next week or next month or next year. I mean, for years down the road. So kids, unless your parents are commanding you to disobey God, you obey them. And God promises he'll, he'll bless you. How's he going to do that? I don't know. I don't know. He just keeps his promises. Now, that's a lot of pressure on kids. So look at the next verse. Fathers. All right? Fathers, do not embitter, which means frustrate, your children, or they'll become discouraged. So dads, and I think this is written to all parents, but let's just be honest. Dads, you have a different kind of, I don't know if it's more or whatever. It's a different kind of influence over your kids. You, you, you can do more good than anybody else, really, and you can damage them, all right? I mean, they'll get on TV someday and go, I love you, Mom, but I'm telling you, dads, pay attention to this. Stop frustrating your children. Stop putting them into a rage. Stop having them hit their heads against the wall. Why, why are they doing that? Because you're expecting too much in the wrong areas, and you're not asking enough in the right ones. Doesn't that explain a lot with you and your dad? Let's go on to the next verse, all right? Because it's really awkward. So we'll go with an easy verse. Slaves. Oh, there you go. All right. That's much better, right? I'll explain that in a minute, all right? Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. And this is another one of those verses, like I need to remember this verse, verse 23 and 24. Whatever you do, so everything you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the who? For the Lord, not for people. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. Anyone who does wrong, parents, kids, dads, whatever, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. It will come back and haunt you, in other words. And there's no favoritism. There's no exemptions here. Now, don't get bent out of shape on this. The Bible is not endorsing slavery. It's not, okay? The Bible is simply recognizing the condition that some people were living in when this was written. Okay? There are actually more slaves on the planet now than ever. People in human trafficking, all that kind of stuff. All right? See, Jesus said, I came to set the captive free. So Jesus is anti-slavery. He's all for slaves becoming free. But until that happens, whatever situation you're living in right now, whether you're a literal slave or an employee in a really hard job, right? Here's what the Bible says. Work hard. And obey the authorities over you. 
Unless they're commanding you to sin, and then you should quit or run away or whatever that is. But work hard when your boss is looking or when he or she is not. Not because they're great bosses. Let's be honest. There aren't very many ones. There are a few, all right? Or don't, don't work hard because you love your job. But you, you work hard out of reverence for, or I'm using my job as a way to reflect in a good way on Jesus, whom everybody at work knows I follow. See, that's why, all right, and this isn't true, but this is why this should be true. Christians should be, followers of Jesus should be the most sought-after workers on the planet because we have the reputation for honesty and integrity and hard work ethic. The question needs to come to followers of Jesus, why do you work so hard? Why, why do you study so hard? Why do you practice so much? Why do you always do what you say and follow through with what you promise to do? And the answer is, followers of Jesus, I'm building my house. I'm building my life on this truth. What is it? The truth goes like this. I want the way that I work at my job and play my sports, even when we lose. When I, treat, I want the way I treat my parents and protect my marriage and love my family and my husband and my wife, or the way I work through the storms of my life, I want all that to kind of be, that's what I think about Jesus, a reflection, that he loves me. This is what I believe about Jesus, by the way. He loves me, and he'll give me grace and mercy and strength in my time of need. And whether or not I see any rewards in this life or any benefits or anything changes in my life or people treat me better or worse or if my situation or, you know, gets better or the storm stays, here's what I know. This is the truth of my life. I know that Jesus sees it. And he'll reward me because I'm trying to live my life like this. My question is, does that describe your week? Does that describe how you went to school this week? Does that describe any of us the way that we, that we go, to, go to work, the way we study? Does that describe last night at home? Does that even come close? And for me, I've got to say no, not... not not, but I want it to be. Don't you? See, let, let me wrap this series up. We'll, we'll be done, all right? J- Jesus said there's two ways. Let me sum all this up. Jesus said there are two ways. Two, we say it deals on the table, but there's two ways to build your life, your house. Here's one, re- way number one. See which one you want. One way is to sit in church and read the Bible a lot and listen to what Jesus says is a better, is a better way, but to never actually do it or put it into practice. And that's how a lot of Christians live their life. And it, may, it makes us feel better. It makes us feel spiritual. Even if we feel close to God, it just won't make any difference when something really hard hits our life. Wouldn't that explain some of our spiritual past? The other way is to constantly be living, listening to what Jesus says is a better way. And then with his help, not perfectly, but with his help, putting his words and teaching into practice. And here's what I found. It's usually harder to build a house or anything on rock. It's much harder than building it on sand, isn't it? And it usually takes longer to build a house or anything on rock than sand. But when the storm hits, here's what I found. Rock holds you up and sand washes away. So Jesus says next, there are two different things to fill your house up with. So here are the two lists. Here's one way, and some of us would call it, well, that's, that's, that is my life or that's the way I used to live my life. Then here's another way. This is the life I want to build. You decide, okay? So what, look at the screens here, all right? Let's just sum up this whole, this whole fill my house up. So list or, or, or way number one. You want to write these down if you want. Okay, we're going to go really fast. And the font's really small, so if you're over 40, you're with me. I'm sorry, okay? Just listen, clue. Okay, so list number one. I want to fill my life with this. 
sexual immorality and mistakes, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, out-of-control anger that eats up everything, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying. And you could add to that tonight prejudice, superficial you know, appearances, and living and drudging up the past all the time. Anybody want that life? That is some of our lives. Does anybody want that life? Here's list or way number two that, that Jesus and Paul say, this is a better way. How, what if we filled up our life with this? Compassion. And by compassion, I mean gut love. That's exactly what we're talking about. And kindness, doing things to help other people. Humble, not humiliate. Humble, I'm not arrogant. I, you know what? I'm not too good to do anything. Gentleness, it's not weakness. It's I could, I could blow this whole thing up, but it's under control. Patience, I could pay you back. I'm just not going to. Supportive, holding each other up as opposed to pushing each other down. Forgiving, canceling what people have done to us. You know what? I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm just saying that I'm letting go of it. Loving, living in unity. Peaceful, that doesn't mean all the storms are going to go away. It just means as the storms are hitting my house, I'm going to have some peace because, you know, God's in this. Wisdom from Christ. Because I'm listening to his words every day. A lifestyle of worship. And that's not just singing songs in church. That's all, all, all week long. I'm telling you, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm in communication with God. And grateful. Grateful for what he's done. Thankful. Because I know that it could be much worse. But he's holding things together. Sincere. With integrity. It's, you know the opposite of integrity is? It's a hypocrisy, being two-faced. Hardworking. I'm going to do it for the Lord. Now, which list do you want? Because it's a decision of the will. See, most of us would say, I think, if I had you raise your hands, you know, who votes for one? <laughs> who votes for another? Most of us would say, I'd choose number two. But a lot of us would continue that sentence with, but it's impossible for me and my situation because I, I've kind of prejudged that that could never happen before. And, you know, and then my past and this and over here. And, and here's the other thing is I just don't think that, you know, this, blah, 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 right? Some of you are sitting here right now going, see, this is why I don't go to church. He expects me to go home and just change my mind and start living like list number two. Is that what you expect, Jim, or God, or whoever? Well, yes and no. First, I do know this. If you never change your mind and decide that you want list number two, it's not going to happen by accident. Right? Second, though, it, it takes a long time to build a house. I mean, if you drive down a road and come back two days later and there's a big house there, I bet if you come back five years later, that house isn't there. Right? Because a, really, a house that goes up really, really, really fast is usually a crappy house. Right? I mean, it's just true. It's just true. It's, it takes a long time to build a good house. It takes a long time to build a good life. So you can't cram for this. You, know, you can't. You know, I was sitting and talking to, to Scott you know, about how to wrap this thing up. And I, I said, it's kind of like going to the gym. You know? It's like you can, you can say, okay, you know what? I want to I bench press 300 pounds. Let's go. And you go to the gym. You never lift the weights in your life. But you go to the gym and you go, well, put it on there. And he said, okay, ready? Go. It'll crush you. I mean, you'll, you'll just be this grease spot there. I mean, just won't be anything. The blood and people will be screaming. And 911. I mean, it'd be horrible, all right? You cannot just decide and cram for it and get it, all right? It starts with, you've got you to decide if that's what you want or not. And then every day for a long time, you have to show up at the gym. Every day, every day, every day, every day. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of trial and error, a lot of pain, some discomfort. It's a very slow process, but there's no shortcut to getting there. 
It's the same way with a good life. Scott said it this way. He, you know, as we were talking about this, he said, he said, it's kind of like building a house. We're building a house. You're building a house. You're just not the foreman. But you're not this passive person sitting there going, well, God, if you want to build it, you build it. No, he's the foreman, but you're a co-laborer with him. He wants, to, he wants to do this with you, not instead of you. So every day, here's the takeaway, you work at it a little bit more with all your heart as working for the Lord. Because if you're just doing it for her, you'll get mad at her. If you're doing it for them, they'll let you down and you'll just throw in the towel. You're not doing it for them. You're doing it for the Lord. Uh, let me give you an example. Let's go back to this, this lifestyle of worship. One week in church, I don't care how good it is, if Scott or me or Randy or the gang here are, will not change your life. It won't. I, I used to live my life a lot of things going, if I can come up with a perfect sermon, everybody just, okay, we're in, all right? That sermon doesn't exist. One, one week at church cannot change your life. You string, I don't know, 50 of them together a year. And here's the thing is, okay, you'll know my life is different. And then someone will go, well, which one was it? Was it week 13 or week 19 or 27 or 39? Which one? Can you put your finger on going, I don't know. I don't know where it changed. All I know is that after 40 or 50 times of coming into this place and worshiping and letting God's word kind of, kind of flow over me and then going home and giving it my, my best try, my life, my life is different. Let me just talk to people who have been here more than a year. Anything, aren't things different? I mean, in God, I'm not taking credit for this. In God making a difference in your life? And here's the thing, here's my question, because it's happening in churches all, all over the world, okay? So I'm not saying we're special or something like that. All I know is that God's doing something in this place, and we are being changed. I don't know if it happens in the worship, or in the teaching, or in the lobby, or in the conversations at Chili's after this. I, I don't know where, where it's happening. All I know is God's changing our lives. Now, here's my question, all right? I'm going to kind of transition to next week. Next week, it's a big deal. It's my birthday. No, 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 listen. Uh, yeah, it is, but that's different. Anyway, uh, yeah, this is, this, the whole Christian Jesus thing either holds together or falls apart based on what we celebrate next weekend. Now, here's the thing is, that's truth. And you, listen, God's changing your life. I mean, it's not completely changed and there's a whole bunch of crap that needs to be changed yet, okay? But you, you get to listen to Jesus. And you get to, be challenged to say, I want my life on truth and I want to love each other better and I want some patience for the people in my life and I want to live my life consistently with this and this and this and this, okay? Now, here's my question. Who is it in your life? And you're going to have to pray about this. It's, you're going to know. Who is it in your life? And you know, you know what? They're building their life the same way I've always built my life on stuff that's just not true. And, you know, love, covering everything with love? No. And you want to talk about a house full of crap? Just like mine has always been. I'm not, I'm not throwing stones. I'm not saying, who are the sinners in your life, okay? You know, me too. All right, so, so here's the thing. is Who in your life desperately needs to find out that no matter what their house looks like and they're standing in the rubble of their life, they, they deserve to find out that God doesn't hate them. I want to challenge you to do this, all right? This, 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 would, be, this would be a perfect Easter. Double our attendance next week because everybody has something like that in their life. Everybody. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said, you know, I don't, I, you know, I want to invite my friend to church. I just don't know what to do. You know, we have this thing around here. It's called this. Come and see. Why would anybody want to go to church with you? I don't know. It's making a difference in my life. Come one time. You don't ever have to come again. But you deserve the chance to check it out for yourself. So, next week, 
you know, I'm going to challenge you just to bring somebody in your life that you care about that needs to know that there's another way to build their life. You say, well, my, my, friend, my friend would never come. Don't, don't, don't you dare say no for them. Let, let, let them say no, all right? Um, unless they're a Duke fan, and then just say no, all right? So, um, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Hey, let me take care of just a little bit of logistics. Hey, next week, if, if, if everybody brings somebody, it's going to be crazy, all right? This, this service will be crazy. Um, as many as you can, if you park across the street and walk over, because here's the thing is, and you're in this room. You're praying right now. Oh, God, it's Easter. I think my husband, my boyfriend, my friend, my son, my whatever, I think this may be the one week they'd actually come to church. And let's make sure they have a close parking space. And for all the rest of us, I mean, if you're physically able to do this, let's park over at Walmart or at Albertson so they can breeze right in here. And if you haven't signed up, we still need a little bit of help, I think, in children's and stuff like that. Not because, you know, it's like, oh, it's my duty. No, because there's some lady who says, listen, if I can just let somebody hold my child for an hour, I think they'd sit in church with me, my friend. So it's partnering and encouraging one another. So you don't need to do that, but they need you to do that for them. Okay, I'm done. I went, oh, I went long. I'm sorry. That's, I'm, I'm not sorry. I, like, I don't care. Mike, I don't care. All right. So, all right. So this is it. All right. We're, now, the last five weeks, a lot of information doesn't make any difference unless you get up out of here, get in your car and go put it into practice. Let's pray. God, I love you so much. And I thank you for this, this really just basic little story about two guys that each built houses. But boy, that just nails our life. I mean, that's, that's it. We're, in, we're either on a, on a rock, because we're all, we're all getting storms thrown at us, but we're either, you know, basing our life on a rock and truth or on sand. And a lot of us, we already feel it starting to kind of wash out from under us. And, and it makes us really nervous, really afraid. And we're kind of afraid of you. What, what would that mean for us to let go of some of this stuff and, and hold on to you? Here's what I do know about you. You're good. In your name, I can trust in your name, in your son, Jesus. And I can hold on to you because I know you're going to hold on to me when my life gets really, really, really difficult. I know you'll keep your promises. Everybody in my life will try to keep their promises, but you will keep your promise. And you'll give me strength. And you'll hold me up and you'll hold me together. You'll give me forgiveness. And you'll have mercy that will rinse your guts out, that, that kind of compassion on my life. And if that's who you are, then I want to know you more. And what's more, though, is that I, I got a good friend in my life, somebody I love with all my heart, and I, I would love for you to meet them. I know you know everything about them, but would you give me an opportunity to walk across the office or walk across the yard or walk across, make a phone call, whatever, and say, hey, just one time, 